Well, how's everybody doing this morning? It's good. It's always hard because as a dad, I get a little emotional when we get into baby dedications because it's, it's a big moment uh, for these families. And we know that there's a lot of family that's traveled, church family and extended family to be here. And so we are just so glad that you're with us today. Um, if this is your first time here, maybe it's been a long time. Uh, my name's Josh. My wife, Brittany, and I serve as the lead pastors here. And it's just our privilege that you're with us in church today. And, uh, and I'm going to repeat what they said earlier, because if this is your first time here, one of the, one of the greatest things you can do is complete a connection card. Because our mission here at Greenville First is to journey with you from where you are to where Jesus wants you to be. And it's hard to go on a journey with people until you've established relationship. And so we just ask you to complete that card. We're not hassling you. We're not chasing you down. We're not showing up at your house. We're just sending you something free in the mail. Uh, and I'll, and I'll just give you, I'll give you a little hint. We send you a Chick-fil-A gift card. So if you've been attending for like five years and haven't completed a connection card, you're missing out. I'll buy milkshakes for your family. It's good. And then next week, um, we do these about four or five times a year, uh, lunch with the pastors. And it is, let me just tell you, because if you've never been to it or you're like, what is this thing? Are they trying to like, is it one of these timeshare things that they're going to try and sell me a package before I leave? No, we just want to feed you well. We want to tell you a little bit about our story because we believe that when God begins to call in a line, it's important for you to hear about where we've been and where God's leading us. And it's really hard. I'd love to tell you our story every Sunday morning, but some of you would be like, I'm tired of hearing that story. So we create a space for you to build relationships with other people who may be new to Greenville First and then also hear and connect with some of our board members, our staff. Uh, it's a great time. And here's how much I love you. I asked my mom to cook for these things. And so... Uh, if you've never had my mom's food, you're missing out. And, uh, and so anyways, I think at some point she's going to try and tell me she's retiring from that. But I just refuse to accept it. I refuse to accept it. And um, this is going to be real interesting because my notes aren't pulling up, guys. You can see how well I know my message this morning. It's good. I hear you, Warren. Warren's, Warren's my man. It's good. We survived Snowmageddon together. Warren is, you know, you hear scripture, you talk about uh, love your neighbor. Warren really is my neighbor. And, uh, and I, I'll tell you, I got him. They're good. Thank you. Look at that. Hey, who printed them? That was, y'all just knew I was struggling up here. Like, what is he doing tapping that iPad? Uh, Warren calls me when there's snow on the ground. I'm, I'm putting on my, my snow pants to go for round two of sledding with my kids. And he calls and says, Pastor. I'm stuck in my driveway. I said, Warren, I'm on my way. And uh, so we got you out. We got you out. And he's here at church today. So praise God for that. May there never be eight inches of snow ever again or however much you got. I'm like, don't we drive to like ski resorts to see this amount of snow? I mean, come on. And then all the people, like Pastor Brian referenced, he's from New Jersey. He's like, Oh, I, I didn't realize why everybody like buys all the bread and milk when it's like about to flurry. It's because y'all y'all really cannot function if there's snow here. I tried to tell you. I still we still have like ice on our driveway. Um, and so, anyways, it's it's wild. Well, thanks for being here today. Uh, we're excited. Last week I I referenced that we were closing down our closer series. Uh, but really, uh, we weren't closing down our series. We were just kind of shifting gears in our series. 
In the first week, three weeks of the Closer series, we really talked about how do we draw closer to God. Uh, and, and based out of uh, James 4, where it says, draw near to God and God will draw near to us. And we just believe as a church, really four things, that we want everybody to know God, to journey together, to discover their purpose, and to make a difference. And in order for us to know God, we've got to draw closer to God. And that's how we begin that knowledge and experience of who he is. And so the first three weeks, we, we really talked about that. What does it look like to know God in the wilderness, to get closer? What does it look like to have an intimate relationship with God? Last week, uh, I talked briefly about the invitation, the very fact that God invites us to come into a close relationship with him. And so uh, this week, we're moving a little bit uh, away from, uh, not, not moving away from knowing God, but really, once we know God, his plan and purpose for us is really to journey with him in the mission and the purpose he's created for us. And so we're going to talk about this idea of what does it look like to journey together. Because can I tell you, God did not create you to journey this life alone. God did not create you to journey this life alone. Even if you're an introvert in the room, you're like, I hate people. Or you're online and you're like, I'm at home because I don't want to see anybody. Wherever you find yourself, God did not intend for you to stay there by yourself. God intends. That's why when we read through scripture, it references the body of Christ. Because we are meant to be in this thing together. Now, if you're an introvert or you really just don't like people, uh, wherever you find yourself on that spectrum, it's okay. Let me encourage you that God's not asking you to be in relationship with everybody. He's not asking you to entertain 500 people every time. He's not asking for that. It may be one great relationship that sharpens you and encourages you, but you are not meant to do this alone. And our bottom line is we don't have to journey alone. We can journey together. That's it. That's, that's the premise of the message. I want to encourage you that God did not call you on this journey for you to be by yourself, but he is going to equip and give you everything you need to journey with other people. Now, our text today is going to be in Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 1, and, uh, and, and we're going to be reading until verse 3. And it says this, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Now let's pray. Father, we just thank you for today. God, I thank you what you have already done today and what you are continuing to do today. Father, I just pray right now that that these would be your words, that you would challenge, you would encourage us. May we really be open and respond and say yes to being on this journey together. God, thank you for your word. In your name we pray. Everybody said amen. Now, the writer of Hebrews, I, I just want to give you a little context here of where he's at in chapter 13. So this is the last chapter of the book. Uh, and so if, you, if you're reading it kind of in a letter form, this is kind of the, the, the ending, the wrapping up, the, the finale of what's taking place. And he's wrapping up his work with a series of practical guidelines for how people hearing these words might live these words. Because I think that there's a lot of us that do a really good job at hearing a lot, 
But if we don't do it, have we really learned anything? We can go through all of our years of education, and if nothing is applied, we're going to come across as uneducated. Do I have any teachers in the room that can like just a, a little amen? We can, we can study, and, and I'm not going to get on this tangent. There may be things that we learn in school that we ask these simple questions. I remember being a high schooler. When will I ever use this in my life? Well, I figured out the answer. When you have kids, you've got to relearn it all and help teach them. If it doesn't apply to your job, it'll apply to your family. But here's the, here's the reality of all of it. If we don't apply any of it, it's just more knowledge. We're just becoming, and we, we may think we're getting smarter, but really we're just intaking stuff. It should begin to transform us, especially when we're reading and learning about things of God. There should be action to what we're learning. And I love that the writer of Hebrews is wrapping up and he says, hey, we talked about all these good things, but here's how you need to apply it. We're not just going to talk about per persevering in our faith. We're going to talk about how we are going to live it out. And so these first few guidelines that he kind of gives us in chapter 13 are really not things that would have been foreign to the church that would have received uh, this letter, this book. This would have been common understanding in Christian churches. It should be common understanding in our Christian churches today. Because follow me. Verse 1, he says, love your brothers and sisters. Verse 2, show hospitality to strangers. And verse 3, don't forget about people who are in pain, who may be in prison. Just don't forget about them. Now, if these are things that we're aware of, and the letter was intended for the churches, I can kind of deduce that he's sending a reminder for a reason. I don't know about you, but anytime I have to remind my kids of something, it's really one of two responses. It's because I really want them to get it and learn it, or their behavior is counter to what I'm trying to instruct them, and so I need them to have a good reminder so they understand dad's expectations and what we're calling them to do. And so when I read these scriptures, I can kind of deduce in my head that maybe the reason that he was having to remind the churches to love their brothers and sisters, to show hospitality, and not forget those who are in prison and who are being mistreated is probably because there was a little bit of absence. So how does this help us? Well, it's going to be real simple. Three points today and three scriptures. And the first is this. We journey together by loving one another. Verse 1, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Now, if you have zero church background or church experience, this may be weird for you. You show up to church. And maybe this is a southern church thing. I don't know. Maybe it's an old church thing. I'm not really sure. But if you ever stepped into a church and you hear, hey, brother, hey, sister so-and-so, if I have no understanding, contact, I'm thinking, this is a big family here. We can really begin to confuse people with our language of brothers and sisters. We have really created some dysfunction and some confusion in our kids. Because for over a decade, we were in Florida uh, is is youth pastors and then they had college ministry. And, and so during that time, we had a lot of college students and they'd come over to our house on Sunday nights. 
before we had kids, when we were in a little one-bedroom mother-in-law suite uh, in our first year of marriage. I mean, people just piling in, playing Mario Kart. And, and then here's what happens. Years later, we wind up hiring them, uh, a lot of them to come on our staff and, 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 and be a part of what we're doing in Greenville. Why? Because it was then that they became family. Well, then we start having kids, and, and y'all may know him as Pastor Brian. My kids know him as Uncle Bri-Bri. So I now give you permission to call him Pastor Bri-Bri if you'd like. <laughs> My kids don't understand. They're like, wait, so how are we related to Uncle Bri-Bri? And I'm like, ah, it's a little complicated, you know? I, it's just, I, don't even, I don't even try to explain. But they've got so many uncles and aunts that are showing up, and they're like, is that uncle or mister? I'm like, whatever you want to call them. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Because for us, we understand what it means to be brothers and sisters and family in Christ because we've experienced it. See, this, the reason that the author of Hebrews is writing with this language of brothers and sisters is because in the New Testament, there is specific language that leads us to this classification as family. I love what Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Adoption into the family. See, Jesus made us family. When we say yes to Jesus, when we say, God, I want you in my life, I want a relationship with you, Jesus, I need you to be Lord of my life, we are saying yes, not just to a decision in this moment, we're saying yes to an adoption into the family of God. Now, some of you may know this about my story or our family story, because when I was five years old, my family adopted my two sisters. They were seven and eight at the time. And when I read this, I read it a little different than probably somebody who's never been a part of an adoption process. But what I, what I do know about our church is we have people who have adopted. We have people who have been adopted. We have people who are, are a family that adoption has been a part. And I can tell you for all of us that would fit in that boat, we can read this a little differently. Because let me tell you, when, when my parents made a decision when I was five years old that we were going to adopt my sisters, they are not my adopted sisters, they are my sisters. And when they got married, they're not my adopted brother-in-laws, they're my brother-in-laws. And then when they start having kids, they're not my adopted nieces and nephews, they are my nieces and nephews. There is something that takes place in the adoption process that it's not just a tag and you're a less than or an other, you are in. My parents, thank God they made a decision to say, hey, we want to expand our family. We believe God's speaking this to us, and we've got space and capacity for more. Amen. Now, their more was two more. But then we've got a heavenly father who said, hey, I don't want anybody to be separated. I don't want anybody to be on the outside. I want all. So here's what I'm going to do. I know that sin separates us. And, 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 and my people, this isn't the way that I, I wanted it to be. But sin stepped into the world and created this fracture. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my son because I'm making a decision that I want all. None should perish, but all should have everlasting life. He sends his son so that we can be adopted into the family so that we can be brothers and sisters so that we can live as sons and daughters 
This is something that it brings joy to my life. It gets me excited because of what this does. But your family is probably a little like mine. And that we don't always get along. <laughs> we don't always see eye to eye. And no, this isn't a, a message about family. Some of y'all need preparation for those messages. But the more family that gathers around our table, the more complicated it gets. Anybody else is that way? The more, the more you add in, the more opinions you have, the more differences. You know, we've got, we've got a couple of rules that we don't like to talk about at family gatherings, and it's politics and college sports. It's a real way to bring some dysfunction into the family, I'm telling you. I mean, we got tigers and bulldogs and, and um, what's that elephant in... Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we've got them all over the place, and there can be some dysfunction. And we've got people, everybody's got a different opinion and a different perspective on life. But you know what that doesn't change? is our love for my brothers and sisters. We can get mad at each other. We still love each other. We can even, like, we can even intentionally pick on each other, believe it or not. I know, how to, I know how to push my sisters, my brothers' buttons, and they know how to push mine. But you know what? At the end of the day, we still love each other because that's what happens in family. You can get mad at each other, but you still fight for each other, hopefully. <laughs> you can get mad at each other, and you still love each other because this is the way God intended for us to journey together and love one another as brothers and sisters. But this is hard sometimes for us. You know why it's hard most of the time? Because this term brothers and sisters is really talking about believers. This is not talking about we're going to get there to the people on the outside. This is talking about on the inside. But it's hard to love people that we don't know. Have you ever thought about that? It's really hard to, to love and live in that depth of relationship if we haven't even begun that relationship. So I'm going to say something here for a second. And if this is your first Sunday here, this, I'm, I'm just giving you a pass. I know that there are people in our church that despise that we have a greeting time every Sunday. They just cringe. It's like, why do people have to talk to me right now? I just want to sit down. I'm going to use this. I'm going to run to the restroom so I don't have to, I don't have to speak to anybody. And if that's you, I'm, 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 I'm just, I'm going to keep my head down. There's also some of you should be college track athletes because you sprint so fast to your vehicle when service is over. You're like, I've already prayed the prayer of salvation. I'm out of here. I don't want to talk to nobody. I don't want to meet anybody. I don't. And I don't know why you feel that way. But it's hard to love people that you don't know. Then on the other side of things, there are some of us that we get real good about this. Oh, I'm super friendly. I talk to people every Sunday. You've been talking to the same blasted people for the past 25 years. You look around and you're like, oh, I didn't know that, I didn't know that all these new people were here. On both sides, it's hard to love people if we don't know them. It's our job as brothers and sisters to say, hey, I'm going to love my brothers and sisters. I'm going to build relationships. Why? Because we're not meant to journey alone. We're meant to journey together. This is the way that God created it. 
Why are we to love our brothers and sisters? Scripture gives us the answer to this. Because it is the fruit of the work of what Jesus has done in us. Love is a very fruit of his spirit working in us. It also strengthens the faith of others. Have you ever noticed if you're going through something difficult, if you're ever doubting or questioning, it's always a lot easier to get through it, not by yourself, but with other people. Why? Because it's, it's in those relationships that people were able to speak. And I love that we are a multi-generational church because I think that there are some saints and some seniors in our church that need to probably build more relationship with some of us young folks. And I'm quickly aging out of that young folk category. But here's what happens. We're walking through the same stuff that you did, and it just may have been 30 or 40 years ago. Yes, the challenges may look different, but they're still the same. We're trying to pursue Jesus with everything and there are sin and distractions all around us. And sometimes we need the saints who will circle around and say, hey, you got this. Stay committed. I know when you're disciplining your kids, they're going to give you fits. They're not going to want to talk to you, but stay the course. Because if you'll continue to invest in them and you'll continue to raise them the way that God wants you to raise them, then they're not going to depart from him. We need that. But if we're not loving our brothers and sisters, we'll never get that. We'll never experience that. But God intends for us to love one another. It brings glory to Christ. You know why? Because it's not possible to love people the way that he intends without him working in us. It also draws others to want to know God. I know Christians can get kind of this reputation for being the weird folks. But I think people call things weird when they just don't understand it. I haven't met anybody in my life. You may not like people, but you still want to feel loved. I've yet to encounter anybody in my life that does not want to feel loved. And so here's what happens. When we can love each other the way that God intended, others will look and say, you know, I don't know about this God thing, but they sure do. They're sh they, they sure are friendly. They sure do love each other. I don't understand how they can. How can they be nice and continue? I would have blown up. I would have run away, whatever. And that curiosity and that hunger will draw people to Jesus through the very way you live. The second thing is this, is we journey together by living out hospitality. Verse 2 says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by, doing, by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Now, let me clarify, the writer of Hebrews is probably referencing, because the Hebrew people would have understood the context of Abraham showing hospitality to angels. I don't want to freak you out. I, I, I want you to get rid of any excuse you have of why you can't live a life of hospitality. And I don't want you to walk away and, and, and say, well, pastor scripture today said, if I show hospitality, angels may show up at my door and I, my house is not ready for that. I don't need that to be your excuse. But I do think what the writer of Hebrews, he's using the Abraham example, and I think that there are angels. God can do whatever God wants to do because he's a lot bigger than I am, and we are, and God will have his way. And if God chooses to show up angels on all of our doorsteps, praise God, we're going to testify about it and get excited. But I also think that the writer of Hebrews is trying to illustrate the example you never know who you're showing hospitality to. 
You never know the stranger, the outsider that you're entertaining and what God can do through their life by your obedience. And so he's saying, don't forget to show hospitality. See, we're in South Carolina. We have this little thing called Southern hospitality. That's not what I'm talking about today. Because Southern hospitality can sometimes mask our real desire to journey with people. When we've had friends, we've had people move here and they're like, man, Greenville is such a friendly place. Show up at the gas station, people asking me how my day is, what my 10-year plan for life is, that my kids' names. I want to know if I got a dog or a cat. I'm just kidding. But they get so friendly and it's this, it's this, this piece of Southern culture that, that we should just be hospitable to everybody. But it can also be a mask, and it's really false hospitality. It's, I want to ask you how you're doing so that I feel better about myself, but I really don't care how you're doing. Or I, I, I want to I act like I'm friendly until it inconveniences or it costs me something. Because can I tell you, gospel hospitality, it costs a lot and is real inconvenient. Because this word hospitality comes from a Greek word, which is a compound of love and stranger. So at its very origin, this word hospitality literally means to love a stranger, love an outsider. The author of Hebrews here in verse 1 is saying, show love to other believers. In verse 2 he says, but don't forget to love strangers as well. And I was reading this week and this one author said, love for fellow Christians is important. It's really essential, but there's a way in which it may not be all that impressive, loving those who love you. See, Jesus asked this question, do not even unbelievers do the same? But showing love to outsiders, now that rings of life change. That has the very fingerprints of your heavenly father all over it. Romans 12, 12 through 13 says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. This is a call to demonstrate kindness to outsiders. All through the New Testament, even the qualifications of deacons and elders, we see hospitality is a part of that. 1 Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And 3 John Verse 8, we ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. Love the outsider, love the believer, love the stranger. There's some keys here, and it's real hard sometimes for us to process this because I am not telling you to love the stranger in foolishness, okay? There, there was, when I was growing up, there was a guy that was part of this, this church a long time ago, and, uh, and he had a reputation for just handing out his house key to strangers. Hey, you need a place to take a shower? Here's a key to my house. Until one time, I, I, I think if I recall correctly, uh, somebody came into his house, took a shower, and flooded the basement, okay? Uh, use wisdom <laughs> in how we show hospitality to strangers, but I believe that God has called us to, to live hospitality. Not just turn on our hospitality switch when it's convenient or when we're going to feel better about ourselves, but to live out hospitality. And I want to say this. Don't let the love of the believer keep you from showing love to the outsider. 
See, I, I thought about going through and just defining what is an outsider and what is a stranger. And we really probably could have taken an entire message to just talk about this one verse. But whatever your imagination goes to of an outsider, whatever your imagination goes to a stranger, Scripture says to show hospitality to them. See, when I think about an outsider, I think about somebody who doesn't fit in. Somebody who, who may step foot onto our campus. We have new people step foot on this campus each and every week. The first Sunday they're here, they're kind of a stranger. They're, they're an outsider. But we want to be intentional that everybody feels at home. That's why there's a big old banner in the back that says, you belong here. We've had people start coming to our church because they said, I've driven through this parking lot. I've, I've walked the parking lot. And I just keep staring at this sign that says, you belong here. Because it's not just something we do. We don't just put smiling faces on Sundays and say, welcome to church. We find ourselves and, and, and we find ourselves shoveling ice together. And we find ourselves, there are so many things throughout this church that continues to just amaze me when I hear the stories of hospitality and the way our church shows up and loves people. And it's not for the attention and it's not for recognition. It's because that is the mandate for us to live it out. To show hospitality to strangers, to outsiders. Now here's the hard part. Investing in others into the space of your life can be inconvenient, it can be expensive, it can be challenging. But I also believe it brings the hope that they may actually bring Jesus into their life. See, I, I honestly believe that when we live out hospitality and we invite others into our life, loving strangers, loving outsiders, that through that process, our invitation of them into our life may be the very pathway for them to invite Jesus into theirs. Now, I also need you to hear that we don't just love people just to make converts. But I believe that we love people for the great commission task of making disciples. I think the way we love strangers and the way we love outsiders begins to shape people who, into who God created us to be. Here's the greatest truth of this, what should make it a little easier for all of us who would say, hey, I'm a believer, I love Jesus, I'm in a relationship with him. If we're believers, we can love the stranger because we know what it's like for the father to love us as a stranger. Before we said yes to Jesus, we were an outsider. Before we said yes to Jesus, we were a stranger just wandering on this path of life. And maybe it was a young age, maybe it was recently, maybe you find yourself sitting in that place today. But can I tell you, here's why we can love the stranger and the outsider, because we know what it's like. And if you've forgotten, I would challenge you to spend some time in prayer and just say, God, I need you to remind me of what it was like. That I may love you like I did when you first found me. Because there is something that happens when, when an outsider finds their way, when a stranger feels at home. But we look for every excuse in the book as to why we can't live hospitality out. Well, my house isn't big enough. Or my house, I live in an apartment and I don't, there's not parking for enough people. Or I'm not a good cook and I, we don't have the money to provide a meal every time people come over. Or my kids, they terrorize the house. I'm so afraid to invite people over. If you're looking for an excuse of why you can't live out hospitality, you're going to find it. Now, I think one of the easiest places is to do it in your home, but I don't think it has to happen in your home. I have people all the time in the church, and they're like, Pastor, can we grab lunch? I'm like, yeah, I grab lunch every day. You tell me when. 
Why? Because I'll tell you, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm going to say this. I didn't say this in first service. I'll say it in second service. Because during lunch, it's probably one of the most convenient ways for me not to figure out, do you have kids? If you have kids, our kids are accepted. If you don't have kids and you're past that time, you probably don't want my kids at the table with us. So we've got all these logistical things. But can you tell I eat lunch every day? Like, it's okay. And you know what? I love coffee. And there are some times if I'm not preaching, I load up and I'll have coffee with as many people and lunch in between. And I'm running from one appointment to the next appointment. Why? Because I want to live it out. I want people to know that as, as pastors of this church that we don't just talk about stuff, we live it. Because it's not good enough. I don't want to just give you more knowledge. I want to challenge you to live the way that God intended for you to live. It doesn't matter how messy your house is. Or, or maybe, you, maybe this is a means of why you need to clean your space up so that you can become a gospel outpost for people to experience Jesus. Maybe it's time you take some cooking lessons or say, hey, my house, you bring the food. I mean, there's all sorts of ways to do this. And you know what? I, I, our family sucker for PB&J. If you mess that up, we've, we've really got to talk. But here's what I believe. I think that hospitality is one of the, one of the keys to unlock that, that people could step into a relationship with Jesus. Create space for relationships to be built, deepened. Create space for the tired, the wounded, the hurt to heal. It, it, it creates space for people who are lost to come to know Jesus, all because we say yes to loving the stranger and the outsider. I think about this. Um, one of our pastors, who, who's still a dear, dear friend of mine, who's now a missionary, and several years ago, he was leading a small group uh, at his house. It was a game night. At that game night, there were neighbors that would never step foot in this church, but they would come into his home. I think sometimes we overcomplicate what this looks like. Well, they won't go to church with me. Well, have you invited them to, into your house? Did they see Jesus in you enough that they don't have to hear a sermon from me? That's when transformation begins to take place. Is when we as the brothers and sisters would live our life in such a way that we love strangers and we love outsiders and we've created space. And here's the thing for us as a church, because one of the things, and I'll, I'll talk about it at the end, are small groups. This is one of our avenues to do this. And can I tell you, we've got small groups where young kids are, are, are welcome. Multiple. We went from one young family small group last semester. I think there are four or five this semester. Why? Because there are just babies and kids galore. And you know what? When you've passed on and you're in that season of grandparenting, you're, you're really good with that. You're like, oh, yeah, 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 take the kids. But you know what? We got prime timers. We got a group of, of people who we believe are in their prime. And they gather and they build relationships because I don't think that any of us have escaped this need to experience relationships, to love one another, and to journey together. What if we began to live out hospitality in such a way that strangers became neighbors and neighbors became brothers and sisters? Think about that just for a moment. Because here we see, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. And Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then it also says that we're adopted into sonship. What if we love so well the stranger that they said, how do I draw closer and I become a neighbor? Because there's a difference. My neighbor, I, I'm probably welcoming a neighbor in my home a little easier than a stranger. 
But we got to start somewhere. But family has access to the house. There's this progression. What if, and, and I'm in, not in literal terms, like, hey, give everybody in the church access to your house, okay? Don't hear me there, but what if strangers became neighbors and neighbors became brothers and sisters? What could God do in and through the people here that are hearing right now online in the room? I believe that God could begin to transform our community, transform our neighborhoods, transform our workplaces. And then lastly is this. We journey together through the good and the bad. Verse 3 says, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. I think one of the easiest things in our journey of life is to forget those who are in tough moments. If I'm just being honest, it's real easy. I think sometimes it's because we don't know what to say. Somebody walks through a situation that we have no context ever, and, and in us, we want to help them. And oftentimes, we think that we've got to tell them what will help them, and that's sometimes the worst thing. Or we're so afraid that we're going to say the wrong thing that we don't say anything at all. But I love what he challenges us. Continue to remember those who are in prison as if you were together with them. And those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. That tells me we don't have to have all the right words. We just have to choose to say yes to be on the journey with them. Sometimes the greatest thing that you can tell somebody is I'm with you. I hear you. I see you. I'm not leaving. I'm here. There are so many times in our church that stuff happens. And even as a pastor, I wish I had all the words. But I don't. I don't know the right things to say. And probably if I say something, I'm going to screw it up. And then they're going to be real offended because I said something I shouldn't have. But I've found that one of the greatest things I can do is just to let people know we're here with you. But if I'm being real honest, it's real easy to do that once and then walk away. There's no end to the remembering people who are in prison and mistreated. So you know what that means? When I read it, hey, remember the people that are still struggling in bondage, who feel locked up, who are in a bad spot. Don't forget them. Remember them as if you're still with them because we're not meant to journey alone. Don't forget the people who have been mistreated that are in a tough spot right now. Because we are not meant to journey alone. We're meant to do this together. So what this tells me is we don't tuck and run when things get bad. We hunker down. We lock arms tighter. I can tell you there are people right now who are in, who I feel like when I'm prepping this message, I'm thinking about them and I'm shooting them texts. And you know what? There's a lot of times that you try to love people when they're going through the bad and they don't want relationship with you. That does not mean we back down. Love them so well that they will block you because you're driving them crazy. Love them so well that when they get a glimpse of light, they'll recognize that who was still by my side and who did. it was us, it was the body. They said, hey, we're not going to give up. We're going to love you in the good and the bad. Because you know what? We all slip up. We all make mistakes. We all go through difficulty. 
And whether this is by your own choosing or it's by circumstance of life, we're not going to let up and let go. Because that's what it means to journey together. We choose to be a church that's going to journey together. I think about the Good Samaritan who expresses this so well. Because you've got this individual who's gotten beaten up and robbed and left for dead. These people pass on by because it's just not convenient. But what? The Samaritan stops. And here's what Southern hospitality does. Hey, buddy, are you okay? Here's a drink, and I'm going to keep on my way. But what gospel hospitality does, it says, hey, load up on my back. I'm, I'm going to carry you to exactly where you need to be. I'm going to make sure that you don't miss out. I'm going to make sure that this doesn't, this doesn't rob your life. There is, there is more for you, and we're going to do this together. May we be a church that continues to journey together. And how do we do it? We do that. Our main way to do this is small groups. We do it through small groups. But I know every, every time, every semester it comes, every, every time we look, join a small group. We believe in journeying together. And you're already thinking right now why you can't be a part of a small group. Too much in your schedule. Maybe there's not a group for me. Yada, yada, yada. The excuses go on. But God's plan for your life is not to walk alone. It's to journey together. And I just believe that this is one of the greatest ways we can do it. Sometimes it's we're recognizing I've been a part of the family long enough. It's time for me to, it's time for me to lead. It's time for me to create more space. That's why I'll tell you, a lot of the groups that are launching for young families have been a part of our small group and they realize our house just can only hold so many families and they're launching out and saying, hey, there are more families we need to love and there are more families that we need to lead and there are more families that need to be uh, experiencing the hospitality and the love and the family relationships. So we're, we had another family just after first service say, hey, pastor, we're in Taylor's. We're gonna lead a young family group because I, I know we need more groups. It's just saying yes. We're going to do something about it. We're not just going to hear it. So maybe it's, maybe it's moving to this place to create space for hospitality. Maybe you're a person and you felt like a stranger and an outsider for long enough, and it's time for you. My pastor in Florida used to say, friendly people make friends. It's hard for you to be loved if you can't talk to somebody. Because I can promise you, I read body language. If you like, well, I'll tell you, if I see you trying to like post up hard, I'm probably going to come to you to try and break down the wall. But, you know, if you're a jerk about it, I, I don't know that I'm going to keep, like, pressing. Maybe. Maybe I should after preaching today's message. I'm just going to keep pressing until you tell me, get out of my face. But I think that God has called us to journey with people. And we've got to be a part of it. So next week, signups are going to go live. There's going to be small groups. All this week, if you say, hey, God's speaking to me, I want to lead a small group, we'll get you in training. We'll get you. It's not too late. Because we know that there are a lot of people that need to journey with you. And you can be a part of saying yes and seeing what God does. I'm going to ask everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. If you're here today and you just say, Pastor, you're talking about going on this journey. But I don't even know where to take the first step. I can tell you the first step is to know God. It's to say yes to Jesus. 
We can talk about experiencing love and hospitality and good and bad all day long, but if you haven't said yes to Jesus, you're never going to fulfill what God created you to be. So if you're here today and you just say, Pastor, I need to pray that prayer. Maybe you feel far from God. Maybe you've never made the decision to follow Jesus, but today's a great day to say yes. God, I want you. So if you're here today and that's you, will you just slip your hand up? Nobody's looking. The balcony, the floor. Thank you. Can we just repeat this prayer after me? Dear Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of all of my sin. I need you. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me to follow you. Help me to love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we celebrate those who made decisions today to follow Jesus? Now, here's where I need you to do me a favor. We want to journey with you, not just in small groups. We want to journey with you in your relationship with Jesus at every level. But the only way we can do that is if we know you're starting that journey. And so we've got a number on the screen that's, if you'll text made new to that number, whether you're online or you're here in the room, we'll send you some digital resources. If you're here in person, you can stop by our connection center in the lobby or the courtyard. And we've got a following Jesus book that is just the, the basic essentials, the beginning steps of what it looks like to walk in relationship with Jesus. Because it's our mission as a church to journey with you from where you are to where Jesus wants you to be.